Welcome to a special episode of The Exchange, presented by Own Specialty Coffee, hosted by Mark Inman and Todd Mackey. I'm Mike Ferguson. It's a special episode because we have what we who run podcasting empires like to call a special guest. This is episode 8 of season 2 and our 19th podcast. The topic Mark and Todd and our special guest, insert air quotes, discuss over two episodes is packaging. From its role in your branding to the different types of packaging you might use as your business grows. And now, here they are, Mark and Todd, the special guest. Welcome to The Exchange, presented by Olam Specialty Coffee. I'm your host, Mark Inman, and with me, as always, is, well, our producer, Mike Ferguson, in the background there, uh, Todd Mackey, my co-host, and our very special guest today, Mr. Rob Steven. Rob? Hi, Mark. Hi, how are you? I'm great. As we start this segment, always in the beginning, why are you laughing, Todd? <laughs> it's the first time we've sat up. That's true. We, we are. In the intro. That's true. We have not mentioned that yet. Way to steal my thunder, Todd. Uh, <laughs> this is a unique episode because we are all in the same room here <clears throat> in our Providence, Rhode Island office. Uh, I am out here. I brought my mic set up and... Uh, Todd and I, this is the first time we've ever done this face-to-face. Yeah, it's weird. It's and I'm probably intimidating the living hell out of you, aren't I? Quite literally yeah. are. I mean, it's, I'm like leaning in menacingly at your face right now well, to get in on this the mic. the shoulders of your blazer. I know. It's extra just... Extra hot. Yeah. So this is a very unique day. <laughs> I mean, I've always pictured that we would get to this point, but I, I didn't know it would come so soon. It's a dream come true for you, I'm sure. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. what a day. But yeah, no, of course, making... Like unbroken eye contact from yeah. the moment that you introduce the show has absolutely yeah. changed the dynamic. This is what I do when I'm at <laughs> when I'm at the office in Healdsburg is I just stare at a picture of you in you know with the same kind of uh, intimidating uh, gaze. Sure. Well, you're well practiced. Yeah. Sure. Trying to send a chill down you you know from afar. Yeah, and there's a reason we're not recording this by video and distributing it. Because yeah. Because none of this is true. We we're obviously smiling and having a great time. <laughs> but it, it is exciting, and we certainly don't want to speed over our very special guest. Uh, obviously, being that we're recording this at a reasonable hour. On yeah, the coast, we're actually, yeah, it's the time. afternoon. And uh, the fact that we have Rob Steven here at our disposal um, you know, we wanted to take advantage of his expertise for this episode, which sure. is the coffee roaster and packaging. Rob is, in particular, uh, you know, packaging expert, longtime consultant. Um, but without getting too far in, I'll kick it over to Rob. And, and Rob, if you wouldn't mind, just give us uh, your title here at Olam Specialty Coffee, and you know, let our listeners know exactly what it is you do here. Well, as well as your professional background, give a little bio about who you are. Who's Rob? Who's Rob? Well, aside from the fact that Rob's been friends with you for nearly 20 years. And, yeah. And you, I'm so sorry. And you, yeah. And, <laughs> and you for what, 12, 13? Yeah, yeah. getting there. Yeah, getting yeah. there. So, um, let's see. I uh, am the general manager here at Olam Specialty Coffee. Uh, and I've been in coffee about as long as you have, Mark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So uh, have had a chance to uh, work at some different places in different segments of the industry. I was a, a buyer for many years. I started as a roaster. I did my apprenticeship at Pete's a uh, long, long time ago, and um, I was a buyer for uh, several companies. Uh, I ran the coffee division at uh, Duncan Brands back uh, back in the day, and um, I remember that all too well. Yeah, started my started a. a Third-party consulting and training and lab company uh, called Coffee Solutions that 
I worked with uh, Mr. Mackey at for some time. And uh, Mr. Ferguson. And Mr. Ferguson, that is true. Um, uh, I was uh, on the board of SEA with Mark, and uh, mm-hmm. where I where I met Mr. Ferguson, uh, and uh, we also were, have been friends for uh, decades now. Um, and so, yeah, so did that for quite a while. I got into trading about ten years ago, uh, and uh, worked for another company along with Todd, and then I, I am here and have been here for about five years. So excited to uh, to to join you guys. I've, I'm a long time listener, first time caller. Oh, there you go. As they would oh say. boy! Thanks so much for taking the time. I mean, awesome recap on your experience, which is obviously deep. Uh, if all of you listening might imagine, I'm actually sitting uh, across the table from these two titans of specialty coffee, uh, and I'll bear the weight only Titan. for you. Please. We appreciate you. Give me a break. But, Rob, if you would also give us a sense of, of what your days look like here at Olam Specialty. I and mean, just for the listeners, uh, you know, who often imagine Mark, you know, just plucking away on the, on the keyboard, pushing paper and getting things done all over the world. What is it that you do? Is it similar or different? I mostly monitor his YouTube views. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is about a half-time job. Uh, yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah. No, uh, what do I do here? Jeez, that's a good question. Um, uh, so theoretically, I'm in charge of uh, trading, which is sell, sales and purchases, uh, QC, uh, marketing, and just the general sort of health of the business. So there's uh, a lot of moving parts, uh, but in general, what I'm trying to do here is just, you know, we've got a lot of talented people, so I'm trying to uh, clear the lane for them to do what they do really well. Um, and so it's a very, it's a, you know, sort of varying things every day. I still get to cup every day. I still get to keep my hands on coffee. I still buy coffee. I still sell coffee. So I still get to do a bit of what I love. So, um, so yeah, uh, best part of it is I have a great team. So I uh, like coming to work every day. Very cool. Yeah. We like having you. Uh, we typically, as a listener, I'm sure you know, but we typically begin the show with a segment we call What's in Your Cup, What's mm-hmm. in Your Glass, What's in Your Can, depends on the time of day we're recording and, of course, right. uh, the taste of the moment. Right. Uh, but I wanted to kick that off, and I'll, I'll spin it over to you, Mark. Mm. What's in your cup? <laughs> What's in my cup? We have been in meetings all day, up until the, the minute we recorded this. So I have uh, room temperature coffee uh, that at one time was a delicious uh, Honduran micro lot. That is an arrival sample, I believe, or no, no, no. pre-ship samples. This is an ironic moment where we, yeah. we we have exactly the same thing in our cup. Yeah, and it's equally room temperature. Though I took this as the dregs of the carafe, Ugh. just in the yeah. moment, realizing on the way into the room that I didn't even have a cup or a glass. Right, I just had to grab it and run. So. But yeah, this this coffee should not be glossed over. This is a uh, fantastic coffee. These are pre-ships for micro lots that we're bringing in with a supplier who, uh, you know, I'm sure many people know. If you don't, you should. This is a Beneficio San Vicente in Santa Barbara, Honduras, and they are just awesome uh, bringing in coffees from multiple areas of the Santa Barbara Mountain uh, and beyond in Honduras. We just put together the approvals on what will be uh, the third container containing some available coffee mm-hmm. um, that are not direct trade, book back to back. They're tasting great. And we took, of course, the uh, these samples don't get wasted. We brew them all and drink them all because they're just fantastic stuff. So this is a, a bit of a blend of uh, some of those, particularly uh, Pacas and Bourbon varieties. And they're crushing. So yeah, that, I mean, cool. it was great when it was yeah. hot. It was fantastic. Yeah, nice. Um, look, 
let's uh, pull Rob into the fun. Rob, what do you have in your glass? I, I am uh, drinking a, a, a liquid blend that's uh, two parts hydrogen and one part oxygen. Um, yeah. So <laughs> real exciting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I would love to be uh, drinking a, uh, a beer or a, some sort of great beverage right now, especially after a long day of meetings. But yeah. Um, we are here in the uh, OLM conference room, and uh, it's uh, not even 5 o'clock yet. So. Yeah, might I recommend, uh, in following this session, maybe a short walk to the Eddie mm. for a crushable punch. A crushable punch. The after party yes. to the show. Maybe that's where yeah. it's going. But um, yeah, so we're doing an episode called The Coffee Roaster and Packaging. Um, this is all about you know means of packaging, strategies for packaging, economics of packaging, and then, of course, packaging types, uh, the decisions that might drive you one way or the other. You guys have been uh, in numerous places and sort of sub-segments of the roasting business mm-hmm. involved. So I'm going to sort of try to guide our discussion, and I'll kick in, of course, my experience wherever it's uh, sure. worthwhile. Um, but I think the place to begin is, is just to kind of recap in our experience how what drives uh, – a startup coffee roaster to engage the concept of packaging. You know, there's people that are probably putting a product out strictly utilitarian. Like I'm throwing this into anything I can just to get it in the hands of my customers. Right. But when that changes ever so slightly into, mm-hmm. okay, I'm taking myself seriously. I'm a brand, I'm a company, I'm organized. Right. What are the, the first considerations? And we can start by just how packaging is executed. So, you know, to give startups a little bit of peace of mind if they're finding themselves with really primitive setups, uh, but also, you know, to give uh, a launching point for getting further down the road, you know, to places where uh, you've been and have a lot of experience, Rob, in sort of like hyper-automated packaging lines and things like this. Uh, I know for me that one of the first roles I had in a roastery was packing bags by hand. Yeah. Like I was just scooping Scooping beans, and weighing. Slinging coffee beans and, and weighing them on scales, putting it through a U-line foot sealer. And, but that's even more than most people do. Yeah. So Some people are going right well. into a, a glassine line, a tin tine paper bag. And yeah. I, I do think that... <clears throat> If you are doing a more Spartan approach right now, there's nothing wrong with that. I think in in many ways, some of the cooler packages I've seen out there are um, either polypro lined paper bags or glassine lined with a very simple and elegant look to them. And um, I think if you're if the philosophy of your coffee is it's like putting a loaf of French bread in a bag, paper bag and putting it out there because you're to consume this quickly. I don't think there's anything wrong with packaging and paper. If obviously as you grow or if you have accounts where coffee is going to sit for longer periods of time, uh, then that's not going to work, obviously. You have to think about uh, packaging options that are that preserve the coffee's freshness as long as, as possible. But I think there's a two-pronged approach to this. Packaging is about marketing and branding heavily about that and it's also about preserving the freshness of the product and you have to take both into consideration but sometimes you may lean more one way than the other uh, and have you know have your reasons or your or your philosophy thought out as to why you're doing that sure uh, yeah I, I i think back to paper packaging and i come from almost a different angle because mm. you know flat 
flashback 10 years. Yeah. So many of the trendsetting roasters were on the West Coast. Right. Um, and I remember taking trips and grabbing coffees. And by the time I would get back, you know, they've lost that freshness. Right. So, you know, there's always been this sort of uh, line in my mind where, you know, to valve seal the coffee is like the first big step up. Do we sure. agree? Is Without a doubt. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is that uh, sort of pivotal uh, staling study that the SDAA yeah. did. Uh, that yep. Both Rob and I were cuppers mm -hmm. um, as part of that contingent, uh, the freshness and staling uh, report. Um, I'm failing to remember the year, but that's out there in print, and I believe you can buy it in book form. Um, it's a pretty comprehensive study from a sensory standpoint as to the, the staling effects right. uh, of having a, an unsealed bag and also you know, whether or not a nitro flush is another step up. Sure, or vacuum than, seal. Yeah, other yeah. than doing, uh, you know, I think the first step that you see people take beyond this is that whole valve-sealed, one-way, mm -hmm. breathable. Sure. Uh, you know, Rob, maybe you can give us a little insight into why that packaging is out there, why it's so uh, sort of unanimously adopted. And for a roaster who's currently doing craft bags uh, or, or similar uh, with a tin tie rolled up and that's that, why they might consider spending a little bit of extra money and on what to get started with this type of packaging. Yeah, well, when I think about packaging, um, what the way Mark outlined it, it has always been the case, which is it's it's two things. It's a vehicle for your brand and your identity, and it's a, it's a vessel for your coffee to arrive where it's uh, destined and, uh, you know, what quality and what condition it, it ends up in, the, in that way. Uh, so even when you go back to the beginning of the distribution of, of coffee nationally, so this is red can, blue can, and uh, when they were sending sealed coffee cans, they had to grind the coffee uh, and let it degas before they could put it in the can, or it would burst, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's that's the force of, of degassing the coffee. So the biggest revolution in packaging technology before and since continues to be the one-way degassing valve because it's the only time that you're allowed to take fresh roasted coffee, package it immediately and then uh, keep it in that same container without having to degrade the quality at all. So, uh, you know, if you have any hope of uh, either storing coffee for a long time or sending it on any sort of lengthy distribution route, it's a must, right? But if you're in a local environment where you're deliver delivering fresh and you're delivering local, it's also a cost, right? And so that's one of the first things that I used to consult with people about is, is you know, do you need to build a you know iron submarine for something that's going not you know not going in the ocean right uh, so if you're if you're going to uh, have packaging uh, just for local roasting and you're trying to keep your cost down and you're going to use a net weigher or a scoop and a, and a scale then yeah you don't need something incredibly uh, sophisticated but if you are going to be doing something nationally or, or regionally or going into grocery then then the question doesn't become if it's just about how and then uh, the different packaging options give you s so many different ways to express your brand, express your identity, express how you want to uh, visually appeal to customers. And I think we all know that at this point, coffee bags are like wine labels. I mean, they, they send a message in a sea of different labels. And so uh, what you put on them can be incredibly important. So that's sort of like my opening salvo on packaging. Sure. Yeah. So, no, it's interesting. As you were talking about that, it hadn't even dawned on me. And it's almost silly to say, but like, you know, we skipped right over, and understandably, given the scope of what we see in the, the retail landscape now, but we skipped over the whole, like, coffee bin, yeah. self-scoop type right. model. Right, gravity-fed bins, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you were a retailer for a long 
coffee. Yeah, and, and, and just bulk coffee. But a lot of it. This. Yeah. And what was the engagement from the customer? Do you feel like that's missed in the market? I still see it in like you know old school shops here and there. Um, yeah. What I are mean, the challenges in doing that? Why should someone do it or not do it? And you know, what do you think we could learn from it, even if we decide not to go down this path? Sure. Well, you know, back in the day, I you know, as a wholesaler, that's where you wanted to be. I, you know, having usually a, a grocery store or chain as an intro to get you on the shelf would say, we'll let you have some of your packaged coffee on the shelf, but you don't get to go to the gravity fed bins until you graduated. And, um, as far as, uh, sales go, the sales would be 10 to 15 to one gravity fed bin to package. Uh, it's convenient. It's easy. Customers go for it because the perception is it's fresher. It, this is fresh. This stuff in package has been sitting for how long? You know, roast dates and stuff like that have changed that perception a bit. But that's what it used to be. And I would still assume in markets where um, bulk coffee is still sold in this manner that it's still a much more lucrative route to go. Now, as far as management of that goes, you the onus is on you, the roaster, to make sure that that coffee is rotating, you know, very rapidly. Uh, you don't want it sitting in the bin for more than a couple days. You need to clean those bins a lot because nothing looks worse than, you know, uh, a coffee company and they've got gravity-fed bins and there's like literally rancid orange oil on the plastic and you can't even see the coffee beans and you would be surprised how many hundreds of gravity fed bins I saw looking like that. So on early on when I was doing wholesale, the hook I had over my competitors was I was cleaning my bins weekly. Some of these things were just like you couldn't even see through the glass or the plexiglass. Um, You have to rotate the stock daily. You have to be uh, very on top of a product or a, a blend or a single origin that is moving fast. So you have to be aware of this blend ain't moving, get it out of there, put something else in there because it's it's just going to sit and go stale. And then I had obviously packaged product uh, as well. Uh, I packaged in cans as, as we have talked about earlier on this show or before. And I, at one point I had to hand drill and manually apply to a one-way valves before they started making this a part of the can. So I had a drill press and Plytech valve rolls and the silicone oil and doing, you know, one by one by one. But I mean, we're talking thousands of these things and I did it for years. And uh, obviously I, you know, can. Oh yeah. (laughs) Can over bag to me was a way better option. And I've given numerous presentations at the SCAA about this. Um, I still think for a small roaster, it's a great way to stand out. It's a great way to be unique. Uh, my pitch with the can was always um, just mentally tell me what the La Cologne bag looks like. And then now mentally tell me what the Hills Brothers can looks like. And you're probably going to be more accurate on the Hills Brothers can. Why? Not because you drank Hills Brothers or because um, you worked for them. It's because it was in your grandfather's garage with nuts and bolts in the can or your color crayons were put in there after they used it nobody throws these cans away yeah and so it's like going back to the creepy uh tobacco industry marketing like 
you know, make these packages look cool and people, you know, will remember them. It'll be in a fixture in their home. And, you know, the whole Joe Camel, you know, you know, all the rumors and kind of uh, urban myths about how tobacco companies marketed. I was literally doing that. My thinking was if those color crayons are in a tailor-made can and that kid's looking at that every day until they're, you know, an older kid, guess what coffee brand they're probably going to go to when they're old enough to drink coffee. Um, and then in addition, I did, you know, refilling the cans in stores, which was, you know, people can reuse this package. It was reusable. And that was important for me. Sustainability was huge, whereas the multi-layered bags didn't have that. But to get to your original question, bulk coffee, gravity coffee was the way to go. But it, it requires a lot of responsibility on your end to be on top sure. of it. I mean, this was essentially the contemporary to the giraffe. Yeah. Right? In, yeah. In relation to beer, right? Where Absolutely. Like, yeah, we have this beer on draft, and then they carry X number of cans. Right. You know, most people, even currently, sit down and they say, well, what's, what's, on, tap? what's on tap first? Yeah. You know, unless that's not a concern to you, which is right. unusual if you're a beer drinker. Now, I don't know enough about beer, but if let's say you introduced a beer, you were a beer uh, brewery, you brought in a keg of beer that's some weird experimental, like made from the yeast of your toenails or something, and a third of the keg has been consumed in nine months. Is the two-thirds going bad or is it being preserved in some way all in perpetuity well sure i mean this is a conversation that's too long for the exchange Maybe yeah we could kick off this is like how we spin off our our second series this is how we become a triple episode by no, these no, little no. side roads uh, no we get a whole new series on, on other specialties yeah foods and beverages. yeah but you know hops are the preservative in beer. obviously the can is awesome and i think you're back up it being sustainable it being durable. Yep. Uh, you know, I just refinished floors in my house and I literally found a patch under layers uh, of, you know, what had since become finished floors, a Maxwell House can that was hammered out flat it's awesome. and covering like a gap in the wood flooring, right? Like amazing. And nobody's going to do that with a coffee bag. And of course I'm pulling that out, taking a picture sure. of this dramatic thing, you know, and, and if I was a consumer that was, you know, that could be convinced to love something else, you know, other than obviously top of specialty coffee, maybe I'd, I'd move that direction. Right. Uh, but why don't you think we see the can at play now? I mean, Rob, you've done a lot of quality testing and a lot of uh, consultation in terms of brand development and putting people in touch with supply chains. Is it a limit on co-packers and partners that actually have the capacity? Is it the cost of the thing itself? Is it just out of trend or, or what? Well, I'll give you, you know, so the example, I, I was responsible for the package coffee program launch at Duncan. And that's a roast, that's a company that worked with four major national scale roasters. They had four different plants. They had, so all the plants had to make the same product, which meant they had to get the same machinery. So uh, to have four huge can lines installed in those kinds of places would have been completely inconceivable. But the even bigger thing is when you're trying to make several million packages a year, that's several million empty cans you would have to bring in. Whereas instead you can just bring in rolls, rolls, yeah. right? Rolls of, of film that goes into a form fill seal machine and comes off the line at, you know, four or five cents an impression, right? And so between cost between the complexity of the of the line, between um, just the efficiency of the thing, between the inability to, to standardize that across operations, it gets it gets tricky really fast. So I think whenever you're looking at national scale or really large scale, the the can becomes impractical. But I think from an artisan standpoint, from a local standpoint, it 
uh, in addition to being a great differentiation factor, I mean, it's a great barrier protector for, I mean, all these bag foils have some amount of leakage, some amount of uh, uh, failure rate, and they have some amount of, of um, just stuff passing through the, the material, uh, you know, you, you say, you know, talk about cans protecting beer, right? Well, beer has hops, right? Beer has something inside it, uh, part of its integral ingredients that protects it. Right? Coffee doesn't have that. All you can do with coffee is protect it from oxygen. And um, any of these flexible packaging have some amount of leakage, right? Whereas a can is a tank, right? So as long sure. as you've got the lid on there, right, you're, you're in, in a much better spot. So I'm a big fan of cans from, from sustainability aspect, from a ability to, to brand your product, create a lasting impression from a quality standpoint. But it has a lot of ups and downs when it comes to manufacturing and, and uh, cost. Yeah. I love the, the look, like the reveal yeah. on a can yeah. is amazing. I think the fact that you can, especially if you're reselling uh, retail packages through wholesale partners, right. especially in grocery. I mean, how else do you see uh, the product go out through a relatively complicated distribution channel and then sit there perfectly? Like right. perfect corners. I mean, yeah. the corners would look almost as good as the shoulder points on your blazer right now. Well, or, or as exactly as good as his pocket square. Yeah, yeah. let's not yeah. bring up the concept uh, of private square. Uh, <laughs> It's too much for you. <laughs> well, we got into it earlier in the cupping yeah. tab, and it didn't go so well for Mark, and I don't want to make him feel bad. Oh, boy. Anyway, so regardless of can or bag, yeah. let's assume that new roaster XYZ yeah. can packing their units. Yeah. They might be rolling and tin tying they might be tin tying and valve sealing mm -hmm. like i was talking about with a with a one-way valve seal bag uh sorry not valve sealing um doing a uh, like a hot heat, heat seal sealer. heat sealer yeah uh, but let's say that either way they're packing these bags by hand they're you know doing something that's relatively uh simple in that regard what are the the big next steps when companies are starting to level up they're mm -hmm. starting to consider the oxygen that they so desperately need to protect this coffee from. Right. They're considering like trying to scale and uh, speed up their process or lower the, the labor costs of having someone pack the coffee, assuming that, you know, this is something that's divided, you know, there's a right. divisional approach across the team. What are the options? Uh, and we'll kind of take them one by one. Let's bring one up and let's talk about maybe from a capital perspective, mm -hmm. from a process perspective, why those things look good, uh, what the gains are, what the costs are. Sure. I'll give you some uh, poor man options to the, the, so going off of a tin tie bag that you're rolling in hand scooping would be a, um, would be a heat sealed, uh, multi-layered bag with a, a valve on it. The problem with just heat sealing it is you're not, if you package right out of the roaster, you get the degassing and that has some preservative effects of pushing the oxygen out of the bag, but it doesn't do an adequate enough job to preserve freshness over any length of time. And that's been teased out in that freshness study that that doesn't fully work as people used to believe. Um, they, there, was, there was a huge gain uh, oh, quality duration yes. when you would package directly out of the cooling Right. Compared to right. four hours. Absolutely. Later, and you, you should be that. trying to do that as fast as you can. If you're somebody's roasting batch after batch after batch and you've got coffee sitting in buckets and you're going to package later, you you know, every hour that you're delaying that is delaying the potential for freshness in that package. So 
the the first step would be just heat crimping and letting the degassing take care of the pushing of the oxygen out of the package. Now, I recommended when I've done some consultation jobs, a uh, a poor man's vacuum sealer because vacuum sealers can be quite expensive uh, for a new roaster in the thousands of dollars um, is to heat crimp in a in a button valve a good quality button valve bag and then actually take a shop vac and go over the button valve and you suck the air out you open the valve up and then as soon as you take the vacuum off the button closes and you basically recreated a high quality vacuum machine that if you o2 test it it's it's very low really? yep did it i've done it plenty yeah. you yeah. can get almost a brick pack vacuum on yeah. these bags at that point problem wow. with that is that if you get even the slightest coffee dust particle in that valve it will never close for you well yeah but i'm talking poor man's i'm not talking perfect solution sure, sure. Here. no i mean from yeah. shooting from a hit perspective yeah. that sounds yeah. genius yeah i i mean i guess i i come at this i always come at this systems like what are you doing with with your coffee if is the first question i, I ask sort of like when you you know like i listen to your retailing episodes and you're you know at like asking these fundamentals questions up front and for me when it comes to packaging it's like where are you trying to put this coffee right yeah and so if you're a wholesale roaster in, the, in your local community and you're going to put it on the shelf in your re- roaster frontage and you're going to put it in six coffee shops that are nearby you um, you do not need to be messing with expensive sealed valve no bags, absolutely right? not you know and, and instead you should spend it on making them look great uh, so that they can all face together and then just deliver them frequently. But mm-hmm. if the second year, if you if you're going to get into any kind of distribution where you're going to be sending cases of packaged product to be handled by people that you don't know, then that you're making an investment at that point. And if you're making an investment in uh, sealed bags with uh, with valve uh, valves in them, then you know I I sort of at that point say you know if you're going to make the investment, you should make the investment. I mean, you should make, you should make the investment in uh, a proper sealer. Um, if you if they're going to be in distribution for longer than a month or two, then you should make investment in a vacuum sealer uh, and or a flush. Um, and uh, I would even advocate for um, doing your own oxygen testing. That yeah, but, but that but that entry is how much ballpark? It's up there. Yeah, you're you're in it for twenty thirty grand. Right. But um, I would say if you're going to uh, put that much coffee into distribution, you should be expecting to get that out of it. You have been listening to The Exchange, presented by Owen Specialty Coffee, hosted by Mark Inman and Todd Mackey, directed by Mike Ferguson, and featuring Rob Steven as our special guest. Our opening theme was Hot Coffee by Gleb Bones. Our closing theme is Caffeine Sessions by Alex Mountie. All music is used under Creative Commons. Remember, you can email us at theexchange at olmnet.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks for part two of the Coffee Roaster and Packaging. And now, your postscript. I think Mike fell asleep. Mike's like, wait, wait, did you want me to record that? Yeah. (laughs)